What's up, everyone? Welcome to Carry the Way, the weekly podcast where we nerd out about all things EDC gear and maybe try to teach you a thing or two while we're at it. I'm Bernard, the founder of EverydayCarry.com, and I'm joined by our editor, Mikey. Hey, what's up? So today we'll be exploring the question, what is your most prized possession? In the context of EDC, our belongings have the potential to be extremely personal and significant to us. So how do we define that significance and what factor does it play in the way and the things we carry? Juicy topic for today. Honestly, as I came mm. up with it, I don't even know how to answer. So to buy me some time to think about it, um, which I should have probably already prepared, um, let's do our little what's new segment. So let's just catch up a little bit. Um, what's new with you, Mikey? I think we've both been busy. Uh, you've been busy on the social side, creating content. I've been busy on the editorial side, creating content. Busy with the move, busy with work. So it's just plain busy. And on top of that, you stressed me out with this topic because now I couldn't, like, I had, like, a few hours to prepare and had to think about it while I was sleeping. And <laughs> see, like, I can't come up with just one thing. So this should be an interesting topic. Damn, this dude is thinking while he sleeps. Everyone should mm. try to get on his level. I am... I can barely think while I'm awake. So speaking of stress, I've got this um, Vostid Corgi uh, button lock. Mm. They call it the Trek lock. I've been fidgeting with this a little bit. Um, this is what I've been carrying lately. Last thing I used mm. it for, I sliced open a little packet of electrolyte mix um, just to help me stay hydrated. Drink, Just drinking a ton these days, um, trying to get some mental clarity. Um, what have you been carrying lately? Um, what I've been carrying lately is a surprise because I wanted to carry it yesterday just to see if I could actually use it. It's going to be part of our topic today, so I'm going to show it off a little bit. So it'll be a surprise. Damn. All right. Just making <laughs> everyone wait, I guess. Okay. So then we might as well um, just jump into the the whole topic here. So again, the question is, what is your most prized possession? And the reason, like, somebody asked me this, uh, and I just thought it was a really interesting question, just a really good question, because I couldn't answer it off the top of my head. I think it's, um, I guess maybe for EDCers or, like, collectors, it's kind of a, a question that should sort of be top of mind, right? Like, if you think so much about making um, this, like, collection of things or the system of items that you say are important and are essential, like shouldn't one thing stand out? And, you know, I'm trying to limit the scope of this to just things within everyday carry because I think we might have prized possessions outside of the scope of this sort of hobby or, or interest. But I think it's also very, um, it's very possible to have a prized possession within your EDC. So with that setting the stage, are you ready to give your answer? I'm curious how other people answer this before I, I give my own. I I just want to touch upon like what you just said. It's I think it's harder for us because now we have to think about it like per category. And like EDC is like 10 or 12 different things. And we could have like a prized possession per thing. I actually do. This is why I've been stressing out about it since yesterday. I have like three things with me right now. I might narrow it down to two in the course of this call, but... Yeah, it should be interesting. It it really made me think about like what EDC means to me. Is it like we'll get into the into how we qualified it, but I guess yeah, we we can kick it off. Okay, then <laughs> then do it. Kick it <laughs> off. Okay. 
So I, I'm going to, this is going to be kind of like a cop out because this comes with a whole ass story with it. But my prized possession is a watch. It's going to be like an easy cop out answer. It's a watch because nah. before the whole EDC thing, um, the, the first piece of gear. Okay. So the, so backstory here, uh, I was in Hong Kong based there for work. Um, and it was my first time working abroad, like being assigned abroad alone. It was my first time traveling international alone. It was my first time work, uh, working for a client abroad alone. And then right next to my hotel was a watch shop. And I'm like, oh, I, I haven't really been into watches. I've like been like wearing G-Shocks or like cheap quartz watches all my life. And then I walk in there and it's like rows and rows and wall to wall of just like brands I'd never heard of, brands I'd never seen before, or like just unfamiliar to me. Like I know Seiko as a brand, but I never... I've never seen like actual Seikos up close. I had no experience with like Seiko watches up close. So I went back to my hotel. It was a little bit too overwhelming for me. Went back to my hotel, started researching. And then I'll have our producer put up a photo. But there was a photo in this in in the course of my research that just stood out to me. It just like literally stood out to me because it was a photo of a loom photo, a luminescent photo of a loom of a particular watch. And that watch was this. It is the Seiko Monster. So this watch is made in... Uh, I knew it. Yeah. This watch was made in 2000. So this watch is now officially 23 years old, going on 24, actually. Um, and this was the first watch I bought with my first paycheck in my first time abroad, first time without knowing anything about gear yet. I wasn't into EDC yet. This was pre-all of that. So it, it's both meaningful, it's both functional, and it's also the watch that got me into watches like really learning about automatics. I thought it was broken the first time I got it because it was like, I didn't know how automatics worked. So I was like, I got it out of the box. Why isn't it ticking? Uh-oh, Uh-oh did I get a broken watch? <laughs> so I'm going to start it off there. I'll continue with my story later, but I'll, I'll, I'm interested in what your what yours is. Well, before I get into mine, um, I do want to just respond a little bit to the Seiko Monster pick. I think that's a great mm-hmm. pick and it doesn't surprise me, not just because I know you personally, but also... I sort of anticipated that when, especially if you're an EDC person, a gearhead, a watch is probably something that people would consider one of their prized possessions. I think there's just this um, sort of tradition and history around watches more so than any other kind of EDC uh, item. I think somehow watches have taken on so much significance and and uh, meaning for a lot of people in very personal ways. I saw, you know, I, I make content about watches uh, once in a while, and I am like a, a watch collector myself, and I can tell a little bit about that story later. But like, for example, you're, you're talking about cheap, cheap watches, you, you know, G-Shocks, quartz watches or whatever. I still love those. I'm actually wearing, <laughs> I'm wearing my uh, G-Shock right now. Um, and uh, s- some people in the comments might say like, oh, you buy a mechanical watch for the story or the history, right? And I think that's just very interesting. And, and um, it-, it just makes sense that, that, you know, your first watch that you spent like, you know, in this new place, it's kind of a milestone sort of celebration, um, really speaks to your sensibilities. That that perfect recipe, I think, for a prized possession. Um, and... I will share my prize possession and then I will pose a question to you. Um, so mine is also similar story. It is also a watch. Um, I'm going to share it, like show it on screen really quickly. 
but this is a Rolex date 34 millimeter, I think from the late 60s or maybe mid 60s. I think it's a 1964 Rolex date 34 millimeter. And this is, this was, this has a story to it. It was given to me on the day that I turned everyday carry from a blog signed like contracts and stuff with a, a co-founder and turned it into a business. So that was like actually my first like real job. Um, and my dad, this is his dad's, I believe. And he gave it to me saying like, well, you have a job now, so you should be on time and you should seem like professional. So I'm going to hand you my dad's watch. I'm like, damn, like that's a big responsibility, right? And I, I think um, it just really celebrated sort of that milestone or that new chapter in my life. And there, it just helped me take time seriously, uh, punctuality seriously. I think it helped solidify or instill certain values about how I want to show up as, um, you know, just a professional now, uh, how I show up to mm -hmm. my work and, and all the effort uh, I put into the things that I do, it, it sort of changed that. And I know it kind of sounds like it might sound cheesy, but um, it's a real thing. And I just learned about this concept the other day um, called enclosed cognition. And it kind of wow. describes that when you wear a certain thing, yeah, when you wear a certain thing, you will think a different way or sometimes even act a certain way. And I think there was a study where um, people would be told to put on lab coats and then they felt smarter and like made better decisions uh, just because, oh, yeah, they're like emulating what would a scientist do or like what would a professional do, right? So I've noticed that in, um, in the same way when I wear certain watches, uh, and even like right now, you know, I'm just like in a, a t-shirt and chain or whatever sneakers. Uh, but like when I put on my blazer and stuff, like I do that for when I have to attend uh, trade shows or like do kind of um, like leadership stuff, right? Uh, training people. It just helps me feel more professional. I'm not wearing this because I think it might be broken again. I might need to service it. Um, I hear something rattling inside. That's not normal. But it's just interesting as an EDCer. Because when you put this back into the everyday carry lens, this thing is not the most accurate watch that I have, right? The G-Shock on my wrist right now will smoke it, and it's like a fraction mm -hmm. of the price. And this is not even a cheap G-Shock. This is like the all the full stainless steel gold G-Shock uh, G square. Um, mm -hmm. So it's maybe, I think, around like $500. And then value of this uh, vintage Rolex date is probably just a few grand. It's even mm. less because the dial has been refinished apparently, um, which mm. is why I, I couldn't figure out what this watch was because it said it's a date just, but it's 34 millimeters. That's mm. that's not how date, date just are, they're 36. So it is a 34 millimeter date once I like got it checked out. But anyway, it's just interesting, right? That um, this thing is my most prized possession for purely like kind of sentimental and personal reasons, not like, and I don't want to say that a Rolex just does not perform. Of course it does. It's like, you know, uh, what the most mm -hmm. popular watch brand for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. But this one, just objectively, comparatively speaking to my other gear, it, it doesn't have that kind of performance. And uh, it, it isn't even like the most valuable watch I own either. But it's still my most prized mm -hmm. possession. That's interesting that um, 
we we have to make that distinction that a big part of what makes it a prized possession is the story behind it, right? Like, I mean, this is kind of like the story with a lot of watches. Like, you can watch whole well, this this whole show can be about this whole episode can be about watches and the stories behind them, just because I know the meaning the meaning that comes with them, right? And like the significant the significance and the added benefit of among all of the EDC gear that we probably purchase or that we probably um, are part of our collections. Watches are something we can wear. You can like it's constant. It can be constantly on your wrist. It's a constant reminder. It's a good like, yeah. It's, it's a constant reminder of the significance of it, the utility of it. It's something nice to look at if it's something like you particularly um, enjoy wearing. There's the whole enjoyment of wearing it. There's the whole story, the whole heritage, being part of a community of people who enjoy a specific brand or enjoy a specific watch. There's so much meaning, like. Um, I was explaining this to a friend of mine. She was trying to look for a watch for her husband. And she's like, I don't get it. What is it with you men and watches? And then I started to tell her the story mm-hmm. of some of my some of my watches. And like, this is the story between father and son, between grandfather and grandson. It's a story between men and stories of like shared history among men. It can be like stories about war and like survival and like gifts. And there's so much meaning. And specifically it's one of the rare jewelry that men wear right like watches is one of those things that other than a wedding ring could be like the second place of stuff that we wear yeah. as jewelry as a personal expression yeah so with with jewelry it's uh some of that is just like there is monetary value right mm-hmm. um so i i can see why some people might say oh it's like my prized possession just because it costs a lot but what are what are sort of the other factors you think that go into what a prized possession means? I think we didn't even really define what prized means, right? But some mm-hmm. of the things that I'm thinking of are um, like sentimental value. I think we kind of already discussed that. Um, yeah. And then there's also, I think, uh, at least in the EDC context, there might be some performance um, basis for that. Uh, maybe it's like something that is just the best at whatever it does within your collection, and therefore it's like the the most prized thing because it is the best in that regard. But then mm-hmm. I think there's also other um, factors and intangibles like rarity. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have another watch that is like pretty rare, um, but I don't know if it's my number one most prized possession just because the story isn't as close to me personally. And um, that watch, I might as well just share it. I brought it out here. Um, so it is a 1999 um, Polar Explorer 2 Swiss-only dial 16750, I believe. And this is my um, late uncle's, so my dad's brother's, and he bought this in 1999. That was the transition period for, for Rolex uh, in terms of the loom that they used. It used to be tritium, and then they were going to move over to Swiss Super Luminova. But in that 1999 to 2000 period, they only used regular Luminova. And that was indicated by having only the, the marking Swiss on the dial instead of the usual Swiss made that you see now. So this mm-hmm. also is like a neo-vintage watch similar to your um, Seiko Monster. And mm-hmm. this was like the last watch, I believe, that my late uncle uh, got before he passed. And he was like a brigadier general in the Philippines army. 
and he's just a badass dude. And <laughs> it made me think about like how I want to collect a Rolex and then pass it on in my family. And it's like what kind of watch will sort of um, represent me and and what I did and who I was as a person. And I think that's just like, of course, that's like not really rational either, right? Um, no, but no. these prized possessions, these watches, they have the ability to kind of change our um, the way, like the at least the way I think about collecting watches and and mm-hmm. what they're going to mean after my lifetime. I think that's like really significant. But anyway, yeah. all of that that story to share was to say that this is technically a better watch than the one that I just showed. Um, is more performant. It is rarer. It is worth more. It is more sought after. Um, and I like the way it looks more. I actually wear this one and I don't wear the one I call it my most prized possession. But there are just so many other factors, I think, that um, mm. sort of play into that. How do you weigh those factors in your prized possessions? Oh, that's that's a good segue for me because I was just talking about the concept of grails in, in, in a discussion I was having with somebody. So um, mm, like I was cheating. Grail. Kind of- yeah, I was kind of cheating a bit with a watch because it's it's too easy to attach a story to it and the whole sentiment sentimentality behind a watch to, to call it a prized possession. But as far as EDC goes, there is I actually have a true prized possession, which is I'm gonna what I what I was carrying yesterday and what I wanted to show off now. So I don't want to kill myself, so I'm gonna make okay, some space okay. here. So this is the Benchmade ah. 42. So this is so significant to me in so many reasons. I kind of touched upon this um, in episode two, I believe, or in episode one. But this is the this is the piece of gear that started it all for me. And what's ironic here is it is the gear yeah. that started it all for me. But I only acquired this last year <laughs> because. Um, so just a little backstory behind this knife. This is a Benchmade Forty Two. It is one of the first models that the company Benchmade made. Um, the founder, Les Diasis, migrated from the Philippines to the U.S. and he started the company Benchmade. And that's why their logo is a butterfly because they started to make these. This is the iconic right. Benchmade 42. Butterfly knife. And, yeah, exactly. And this ties um, into an entire history that I went through, a whole journey about learning about Belisongs, about how they came from the Philippines, where we were both from, how it came from like a little town in uh, called Batang- um, Balisong in Batangas in Taal here in the Philippines. But regardless... The main reason I know about this knife and I learned about it is because I saw it in a movie. I, I think I mentioned this in the first episode. I saw it in the movie called yeah. Kick-Ass back in 2010. And I'm like, that's a cool knife. There was another cool flashlight in that in that movie. And then years later, um, I found this randomly, somebody selling it on Instagram, like next to new. So this is kind of the fact that I can still flip this, the fact that it still has a spring-loaded um, lock here. It's still like, Latch. it's still an actual, yeah. Yeah, it's still an actual um, usable balasong. You can actually still flip this. Before that guy sold it to me, he started filming videos of him flipping it. So I'm like, this is still very new. But mm. it has its. It's not like the most performant thing. It can still cut, but the steel isn't great. It's 440C. It's a little bit older now. Um, of of course, it's not actually yeah. legal. Every, 440C <laughs> used to be great, by the way. Yeah, and it, yeah. and just the fact that it's a balasong. Uh, it's um, it's kind of like a. Yeah, so the the whole category of um, butterfly knives isn't exactly legal. So um, it is actually usable, but it's not like EDC friendly. But the whole story behind it, the whole chase of almost, what, 10 years, 13 years just to find it and get one in good condition and have it be a part of my collection. This is now, this has laid the bedrock, the foundation of collecting knives and being interested in knives. And 
kind of this is yeah this is the one that started it all for me that got me interested in EDC. So yeah, that's my story for the the ultimate grail. This that's is my crazy. actual ultimate grail. Yeah. yeah, I've I have a couple of questions. Okay, well before mm. I ask the questions, first, um, just in case anyone listening doesn't know what grail refers to, it's mm. uh, reference to like holy grail. I think it's it's like Indiana Jones, right? And the holy grail. It's like that. Yeah, that like or the whole concept of, thing that's like the whole concept of the holy grail being. Because I believe isn't the story the, yeah the story in Indiana Jones is like the Holy Grail actually exists the the Holy Grail from the Last Supper of Jesus actually exists as an, a real thing in the real oh, world. Oh, that's literally okay. It's a biblical thing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So and the there there was always been a quest to find it because apparently it's an actual real thing. So finding it is like the ultimate religious significance object, like in his historical significance and all of that so yeah that's i think that's the concept of the holy grail oh that makes okay that makes more sense thank you for the etymology lesson i didn't really know that um so i i guess related to that story i i, I immediately thought like okay if they if they get this grail what are they gonna do with it are they gonna drink out of it um so do you use your your uh bm42 like as an edc or is it like too precious now because because of the the chase well, like I said, I I started using it yesterday. I use it to open a few boxes, and I was flicking it around and and stuff. But it's too it's a little fragile now. It's since it's like a really older construction. It's not the way modern bella songs are made now. So the the mm. pins here are not modern like Torx pins. They are press. Um, they're kind of like uh, friction screws. So this can actually wear out if the if the metal around this wears out. The 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 handles are going to have like ridiculous play. They actually, if you can, you can hear it. There's actually already like play in the um in the yeah, handles now. Rattling. So that's only going to get worse over time as the metal wears around his. So it's not something I would particularly use. I have more modern um, butterfly knives that I would use over this, but it is actually still usable. And I mean, just look at it. Everything, all butterfly knives owe themselves to this. This design with the holes here in the front, the all like the all. This is actually right. titanium, but the all steel design of this thing. It's titanium. Everything, yeah, everything came from this. So this is like such a historical EDC value, such a historical cultural value for me because it's a Philippine like invention. It's a Philippine product. It's made by a Filipino who went like big success, big break back in the states. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that went into this. I'm, this is really, uh, just looking at it gets me excited yeah. about and, owning it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I don't mean to diminish your other prize possession at all, but I actually have that also. And, uh, I, so I have the, the Ventrain 42C with a clip. I think it's even mm. more rare. Uh, mine yeah. is in like mint, like new dead stock condition yeah. because I got it. And I think uh, two thousand. You got it from your roommate, right? Ah, so annoying. You got it for free. Yeah, uh, a college <laughs> roommate. I got it for free, and I think that's actually bad luck. I think you're not supposed to give somebody a knife. I think it's always supposed to be like a monetary transactional exchange, and I think that's why some people, when gifting a knife, they also include like a dollar coin or like a dollar or something, really? so that it can oh, be like man. changed hands that way. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know like what culture that came from, but um, I think off the top of my head, uh, like James Brand, I think um, one of their higher end knives, like if if you decide to gift it, I think it does come with a coin um, because of that that like myth or tale. 
I but think anyway, people... that's besides the point. I did. I. <laughs> Uh-huh. I think some people owe me money now because I gave them. I've oh yeah, given yeah, a bunch absolutely. You better, yeah, yeah, better <laughs> remember claim. those debts and then come collect. Oh yeah. boy, right. yeah, that's okay. that's how you keep the knife. I've inflicted, going. I've inflicted some bad luck. Okay, um, so my my roommate in college gave it to me. So it wasn't 2007. I think it was um, maybe in the early 2010s. But uh, that was you know around the beginning of my sort of EDC journey or me getting into the hobby as well um i was actually kind of scared of the benchmade 42c because i didn't know how to flip yet um i was still used to just uh traditional not traditional modern but like normal folding knives folding Um, knives yeah and it reminds me yeah it reminds me my dad actually gave me his balisong so my dad is actually from the the place in the philippines that you mentioned not specifically balisong uh that city yeah but the um, the region Batangas yeah he's from there yeah. um yeah the region so he has had like a collection of those Filipino handmade uh handmade balisongs because to them or to him growing up like that's just what a pocket knife was right exactly. in that area so um I, I don't know why I never thought of that as like in the same way a watch um because my dad has this amazing um Rolex GMT Master. It's it's patinaed like beautifully. I think it's got like a spider dial, gilt dial, uh, single underline. It's very uh, rare, and that's just, that was just his watch. But he's he still rocks it every day. By the way, that is Grail status to many collectors uh, of vintage Rolex. And my dad is just like a boss like that. He'll just like rock that every day. Um, but yeah, he gave me uh, his pocket knife um, that he had as a kid. That that was his EDC, and for some reason, I never really assigned that much value to it i need to go look for it again actually um yeah and but and yeah, that's the I thing the the benchmade 42c but i have the benchmade 42c and i don't yeah i i have the benchmade 42c and people see it in my collection um and they always want to ask about it they want me to make like a tiktok about it i can't because of the community guidelines um but apparently it is like a cool flex piece and uh it's not legal where i i am to, to use or anything so i don't carry it out uh, and I appreciate it for what it is and for many of the reasons that you mentioned, like um, not only cultural significance in terms of like being Filipino-American, but also um, like it is iconic to the whole category of that that type of knife and to a very significant brand, at least um, in, in modern EDC with uh, uh, to, to Americans anyway, um, with Benchmade. I mean, the reputation is like not the same as it was, but still, I think it's a very cool thing for me to own. But it just doesn't, the calculus is not the same as it is for you, for me as a prize yeah. possession. Isn't that kind of wild, though, that we both have the, like, completely, completely different stories. And I found out that you actually had that in, after already I had, like, gone through my old journey of finding about, out about it and looking for it. And I found out that you already had it. And I, like, I kind of hated you for a hot minute. But <laughs> that was kind of really interesting that we both, like... <laughs> We both ended up on the exact same model too, like just different variants, but the exact same model too. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of crazy, like the, how the stories are intertwined and how we ended up working together and everything. So yeah, and so I think one thing that can also sort of help with thinking about prize possessions. This is a different question. It's not exactly the same thing, but I remember around that time um, when I was first starting. EDC and starting it or the website and starting it as a Tumblr blog. There's this other blog that was sort of similar that 
had a very similar visual identity in terms of um, people laying out their, like a flat lay. We call them flat lays now. Um, that mm-hmm. term I don't think existed before. But that visual uh, presentation of items neatly arranged. Um, there was one book or like art project called The Burning House. I wanted to bring this up. And the mm-hmm. concept was like, if your house is burning down, what are the things that you would bring with you? And that also ended up being a mix of, you know, some things that are practical in that kind of life-threatening emergency, right? But then most of it was was sentimental. I, I just think that was interesting. Have you ever thought about that kind of question? Like, what would you bring with you? And if so, it, does any of it have to do with your EDC? Um, I have kind of like a real answer and a non-answer to it because my non-answer is, I, I've thought about the burning house thing. That's why I like a lot of my EDC gears and like protective cases and stuff. So I kind of like avoid that whole problem altogether. Like my watches are in a nicer case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my knives are in a Pelican. Yeah, like you've hard case and the burning house problem. <laughs> but right. we actually came um, into a similar situation. Like one of the buildings in the um, in the compound of my where my apartment is started burning a few months ago. And I had to actually evacuate just to be safe. And I started looking around and seeing like, uh-oh, what, what am I taking with me? And what I ended up with was just all sentimental stuff. Like I grabbed like I grabbed my wife's old stuffed toy. That was one of the things I grabbed. Um, I didn't grab any mm-hmm. of my knives. I didn't even like I had the watch that I was wearing. It's just my Apple watch. But I didn't even grab any of like the, the stuff, the quote unquote, just the stuff. I grabbed a flashlight because that was already in my bag. But yeah, um, the burning house for me is just like distills it down to just the stuff and like sentimental stuff that I can't replace. Like these watches, uh, that's, an, that's a whole other story, but the, the monster watch, I, I got this pretty late because there's a whole other story where I, I sold it uh, a few years ago and then I wanted to get it again. But that reminded me like a lot of this is just stuff and then like it's not really what's the most important thing. That's why I, I guess that's why I kind of gravitated towards the more sentimental stuff. Like that stuff toy was from my wife's childhood. She had it since she was like elementary. So I, I couldn't leave that. So I wasn't going to leave that. And in the case of a burning thing, yeah. but um, I'm, I'm interested to know, like what would, what would you have picked for the burning house situation? <laughs> I'm at the point where I would just let it burn, bro. Like I might bring mm. this watch, you know, the, the Rolex that I mentioned that my dad had, but like, I don't know if I would go back for like my actual watch box. Um, they're insured, mm. right? And like they're not <laughs> that rare. Uh, they're insured. It's fine. They're not that rare. Um, but yeah, besides like you know grabbing something to to get out with your life, like your go bag or whatever, right? You've already prepared that. That that doesn't mm. really sort of answer the question. Um, yeah, I collect a lot of other things, uh, and you know I've put a lot of money and like time into the search for those things, and some of it is fulfilling, but. I don't know, this might get a little philosophical, but I'm starting to think that I could just let it all burn and they are just things at the end of the day. And that's part of why I wanted to sort of have this discussion because I I think for for people who are listening that, you know, they're probably also like us in in a way that they collect things or at least they think a lot about the stuff that they own, um, especially the stuff that they use. And I feel like this sort of question, like what is your prized possession? What would you take with you if your house was on fire? These are just questions to to give people an opportunity to kind of pause and reflect and define like what is truly essential. We always talk about how everyday carry is about 
oh, what what is essential to us on a day-to-day basis, but what is truly essential and what does that mean for you and why? And I think these are great places to start um, in that mm-hmm. reflection. And I know for me, a lot of it has to do with non-performant, non-rational things. Um, and there, I think, are types of EDCers who might get really into the hobby and they might become collectors and they might become enthusiasts. And that sort of non-rational, non-performant sort of value is significant to them. And then you still have a lot of people who might be listening to us for the past half hour or so and be like, yeah, we get it. Like they have stories. I just need something to get something done. And, uh, you know, those people probably wouldn't have um, any trouble with, with this burning house kind of question. So it's strange because I do have this, this sentimental attachment to some of these things. And I do, that's what I would categorize as my prized possession. But at the same time, I realize at the end of the day, a lot of them are just things. And mm. sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, at least as enthusiasts, um, these are just things and they shouldn't so they shouldn't be so complicated or uh, stress inducing in your life. Um, but that, I mean, that can happen. So let's dial it back. Um, let's make this a bit more like lighthearted and less philosophical. So let's say the house isn't burning. Let's say impossible just, for me. <laughs> let's say let's just um, simplify the question to: If you could choose one thing in your um, entire collection that's not technically your prized, it can be like it could be your prized possession, but it can it can be not. If you were to distill your EDC, specifically your EDC, down to one thing that you would keep, if you could let everything go, burning or otherwise, if you would keep it down to one thing, what is the one thing you would keep and consider as your essential, as your grail essential? No, not your grail, as your essential. Hmm. Tough, I, ain't it? <laughs> That's a tough one, isn't that it? Is, that is hard. <laughs> you know, I, I'm looking I'm looking around my desk trying to like come up with an answer. My eyes do go back to uh, that ex- the Rolex Explorer 2. Um, and I think... It, it hits a balance of a few things. One, it does have personal sentimental value. And I think mm-hmm. that is like, there has to be some non-zero factor of that because otherwise you could just buy something, anything, mm-hmm. right? So there's part of that. Um, I do wear a watch every day and I feel naked without it. And I think that is part of what we define as essential. It's like, what would just feel wrong for you to not have? For some people, that's their, you know, their pocket knife or, or whatever, um, mm-hmm. but for me, it is a watch. Like I even sleep with a watch. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't shower with it, but I do sleep with it on. Well, um, I do it for sleep tracking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But I'm thinking about that, that watch right now. And it is also not so easily replaceable because it is expensive and a little bit rare. So all the other stuff in my collections, um, for the most part, I could probably replace. It would just take a lot of time or a lot of money. This one, because of the personal aspect and the fact that I use it all the time, I would love to just like hold on to that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the other stuff, it's like I could just go buy a Leatherman and then bam, like most of my my EDC functions are satisfied, um, right, you know? Right. So I think, it, yeah, it, when, when we put it that way, it's kind of easy for me to, to just pick one thing. But I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm, I'm very much a watch collector guy now. So I think that biases my answer a bit. What would you keep? Mine is both um, sentimental. Okay, mine is a triple answer. Mine is a sentimental thing. It has a story behind it, and it also is practical. So I don't actually have it with me right now, but my answer here that keeps coming back to my mind is the HDS rotary flashlight. We'll have a photo of it come up here. But 
there's a story behind that mm, and classic it's it's one of the very first premium flashlights i saw on your blog when i was still a reader for it it was paired with i think um a strider knife and then it was it was an hts rotary yeah, that was the old meta yeah it was an hts rotary the bomb proof meta it was yeah. a it was a strider knife and you called it specific exactly that you called it what, what a bomb proof combo and that flashlight had stuck with me for like the next 10 years and I'm like, eventually, you can still buy it. It's still, it's still available from HES directly. It's not really anything great anymore. Like a lot of modern keychain flashlights would smoke it to bits. But the whole concept behind mm-hmm. how indestructible it is, the whole rotary function, which is still my favorite function, um, my favorite mechanism of a flashlight, got me so nerded out about flashlights and the whole rotary thing. And the whole story of my history with it and with EDC as a whole from a purely pragmatic and practical standpoint, I think that would be my pick because it, number one, it would survive the fire. Number two, it's I could still use it. And number three, it has this whole history of my history with you, my history with the site, my history with EDC in general. So that was my one of my, it's, it's actually even my grail. It's one of my grail flashlights because it is a little bit expensive. So yeah, so that's my pick, the HTS Rotary. I think that's a great pick. And one thing that popped to mind when you're discussing how, how it was one of the first things you saw it's like paired with a strider and how that was the like what was considered like the the top tier or like the standard go-to if you want that overbuilt bomb proof design language it reminds me of um and sort sort of similar to my answer of like picking this neo vintage uh year 1999 year 2000 rolex it captures a moment in time for whatever that product did right so a moment in example, time it can't oh well, true okay not the watch thing uh but it is true right um this was a transitionary period for rolex and it was before they changed the case shape to what modern rolex is now it's like even bigger it's beefier that kind of thing i don't like that um but mm. this like very late 90s early 2000s sort of look it is encapsulated and kind of frozen in the design language of this thing. And it just reflects um, that time period. And I think similarly to the gear that you're mentioning with uh, the old HDS and Strider knives and stuff like that. They're not as popular now. We don't talk about them as much now um, because it's a different time. Uh, But I just think that's really cool. I'm pretty nostalgic as a person and a lot of my other collections are older things that are from a time in my life that I was like most happiest or enjoyed the most. And I just hold on to those things for nostalgic reasons. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how many other people do that with everyday carry because I think it's only, I don't want to say it's only sort of now gaining popularity, um, but it is certainly bigger than it ever has been now. And I'm not sure for how many years people have been into this, but yeah, like for example, the, um, the Benchmade 42 C's that we've had, like when did that come out? Like the eighties? I could be completely wrong, but those have been around for a while. Yeah. I, I want to take this back to what I said earlier about I was having a discussion about a grail. And the comment specifically I left in that thread was sometimes you realize that the grail you were looking for wasn't actually what you were looking for. And it was something else all along, not not the friends you made all along. Mm. So I'll I'll tie this back into yeah, okay. my story about the about this watch. So I, I mentioned before a few years ago, I let it go. Um, I, f- I completely forgot why. But then I started thinking about as I learned more about watches and I started like lusting over much more expensive watches, I kept I kept on going back to my old watch. I'm like, 
now it's gone. I can't get it back. My all my, and I would look through all all of my old photos. I was wearing the watch through a lot of milestones, and I'm like, I am so dumb uh, yeah. that I let that go. It's it had so much. I I remember every single scratch I had on that because of the events that led up to those scratches and all of that. And so I went nuts. So I got this. I got this off of a local seller. And then <laughs> I got this off of eBay. So the grill, um, this is a much rarer one. This is a made in Japan one that I got just for, since these watches are both like 40 years between them, I, I figure that these will last me the rest of my life now. I don't need to look for any other right. watch now because I'm, I'm, I'm done. This is it. So this is, the grail was there all along at the start. I didn't, it took me 10 years of learning and researching and wearing and learning more about myself and learning more about my own story to realize that, damn, my first story is still my story and it's going to be my best story. So this is the watch that's going to represent that until the last day I wear a watch. So yeah, that's good. That's going to be my story for <laughs> the, the monster. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be the permanent one. That's awesome. I wish I had that already. I wish I had figured out that story already because collecting watches is just very expensive. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I wish I could just buy two of the same thing and then be done for the rest of my life. Yeah. That would be sick. Um, but you did bring up uh, with through that story. I think there are a couple of concepts that uh, might resonate with uh, listeners here. Is and and one is less common than the other. But sellers remorse. Usually, we talk about buyers remorse, where you buy something mm. and it doesn't work out. But that is like one of those rare cases of sellers remorse. And honestly, like. I'm already scared of buyer's remorse, right? Because it, it's already painful to be like, damn, I spent so much and it didn't work out. But even worse, I think, is seller's remorse where you had it already. You yes. could have been fine, but you got greedy or you were just stupid and then you let it go and then now you want it again. Then when you buy it back, that's like a double buyer's remorse plus seller's <laughs> remorse. Um, but anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. It's so painful. But I have uh, a similar story with... Um, well, maybe it's not so much remorse, but I did have a grail level knife. I had a CRK uh, small Sabenza, Chris Reeves small mm -hmm. Sabenza, and it it had um, some inlays to it. I think I think it was micarta. Okay, granted, it was it was seated to me like for review, um, but I got to keep it or whatever, and uh, I ended up gifting that to um, uh, one of our writers, one of our friends, um, Ed. Ed Jelly, he's also at, he's at Warren and Mound, um, reviews pens and stuff. Uh, he, had, I ended up just giving that to him because it's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I reviewed it already. I don't really need it. But then now it's like, damn, I kind of wish I won or I had that back because it's so hard to get uh, a CRK now, um, just like a Chris Reeves Benson now. The wait list is like five years, and maybe yeah. some of it is like just FOMO of other people um, getting it, and the fact that it is hard to have now. But it's like, yeah, that's something I had. And um, I kind of let it get away, and now I wish I had it. Um, but I think I'll be fine. I've I've gone through seller's remorse through so many things. Like there was a flashlight I had that I had to look for again. There was a bag I had that I had to look for again. There was a pair of shoes I had that I wanted to go through again. So, yeah, wow, wow, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. And I think eventually, once people find that story of theirs, once once people realize that the pursuit is as much a part of the story as finding the thing in the end. I think that's what makes something essential in the end, I think, yeah. Yeah, so I guess we can just sort of wrap this up with uh, a few pieces of advice and then the recap. 
I think just to the point of seller's remorse and all that is like in your EDC journey, as you're getting these things, like take it very slow. I think, mm. I think it's very tempting to try to just pay to win or buy, like buy the best thing that you see um, or the most expensive thing because you equate that as being the best. But since EDC is so personal, like to preferences and like even your, the shape of your hand, right? Um, it just might not work out. So that's one way to avoid buyer's remorse is to just like be very slow. And these things, they will take time. And of course, you want to have the thing, you want to have the tool in hand for when you need it. Yeah, sure. Just like buy whatever to get it done. But in terms of like this, this discussion we're having today about like grail stuff, prize possessions, I think that can be slow. That's going to be a process as you learn more about your preferences, more about yourself and what you want to be really that grail. Um, this ended up being a different uh, topic altogether but yeah take it slow and then the other the other piece of advice don't sell anything no i'm just kidding um, i don't i like don't sell as much as my stuff because i'm scared of the seller's remorse um but like maybe hold on to that thing a little bit longer and think about before you let it go because i see stories about this all the time uh just want to help people out there if they're thinking about letting something go maybe just like try using it or carrying it again and then maybe you'll remember why you got it in the first place um mm -hmm. i think that's a good place to start but then let's just do a quick recap of all you know the other stuff we talked about today. We talked about prize possessions, and sometimes these prize possessions are not purely based on monetary value or their their level of performance, but often their personal connection, their significance and history to you, or maybe a, uh, the culture you're a part of, or that is like deeply resonating with you or influential to you. So, for example, we had um, talks about watches that celebrated milestones in our lives, uh, in our careers, and also things that are close to us personally through family. Like, for example, I've the watches that I've gotten um, that are most prized to me have been inherited from the men in my family um, down to me. And it's changed how I think about how I want to collect a watch and pass them down to the men in my family, hopefully, uh, in the future. Is there anything you want to add to that as our, our recap as we wrap this up, Mikey? Um, my hope is just like what you said, people take it slow and really like reflect on the journey they've taken both with not. And also there's a factor here of not taking stuff for granted because that's also like that leads directly to seller's remorse. You're like, I have too many watches. I'm just going to get rid of all of my oldest ones. I don't need them anymore. I don't wear them anymore. And then like a year later, I'm like, what the heck did I just do? <laughs> what have I done? Uh, I'm never getting that watch back again. So take it slow. I really like that piece of advice. Take it slow. Really reflect on your story. Um, don't take things for granted. And also think about like, what's the most important thing to you? Like I'm, I'm recalling my story about my wife's stuffed toy. That's, that's going to be the most important thing in my house. Like no matter how many times I move that, that thing's going to come with us. It's more important to me than any watch I own, any of these knives, any of whatever I own, just because of like the whole story behind it. So like really think about what's important to you before you A, bring something new into your life and B, let go of something in your life. So take it slow, think about your story. And I do hope for everybody listening that you do find your grail, whatever, whatever price point it is, whatever story it is, as long as it's meaningful to you, it's useful to you. That's the only thing I can hope for for our audience. Very well said. I think that is like the key takeaway is just helping uh, our, our listeners take this, you know, uh, time during this episode to just reflect on what is really important to them, what's essential to them. Cause that's what we talk about on everyday carry, right? 
it's like what is uh, what we deem essential. Um, hopefully that this episode helped you do that. So if you made it this far, uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And if you did, please subscribe. If you're listening through a podcast service and you really enjoy what we do here, please consider leaving a review and a positive rating because that would really help the podcast. We're just starting out. Um, you could also follow us on social media for more content daily on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Our editor will put that all in the show notes. And if you want to be part of our community and share stories like this with us in real time, feel free to hop into our Facebook group or Discord server, and uh, that will also be linked. Lastly, if you have any feedback for us or questions you want answered on the show, we're going to try building out that segment. So you can shoot us an email at podcast at everydaycarry.com. So thank you for listening to Carry the Way. I'm Bernard. I'm Mikey. And until the next one, peace.